Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, my name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm the pastor here at Covenant Church and one of our elders who has the great privilege of leading the church as we go about our mission to know Jesus and make him known. And we are in a sermon series called The Way. This is uh, the sermon series we have technically been in since July of last year. We took a couple breaks for various things, Christmas and, and the start of the year. We did a couple different things, but we're picking it back up um, as we've walked with Jesus on this path. So, so Jesus is on this journey, and we're taking the journey with him. Uh, long story short, he is in uh, Capernaum, and he starts this, this walk, this three- to five-day walk down to Jerusalem, where he will eventually be crucified. And so these last three to five days of his ministry are captured here in about nine chapters of the book of Luke. And so we're just walking with Jesus on the way. It's the way, the truth, and the life. It's the way to the cross. It's the way that we are called to live. And so what we're doing is walking with him. And what we're attempting to do, the reason we started this when we did, and the reason we're continuing on with it, is for many of us, we feel like we're walking through hostile territory. If we're followers of Jesus, the the world's not necessarily aligned with that anymore. And Jesus, as he walks on this journey, walks through the land of Samaria, which is hostile territory for a Jew. And so as he's navigating Samaria, we are such, in the same way, navigating the world around us. And so as we watch Jesus and observe how he reacts to a hostile environment, the cues that we take from him inform how we might live in our own world. So all that to say, we're going to pick up the the story in Luke chapter 13. I am going to read it here. We're going to put it on the screens for you. We also have these Bibles. If you are in the room today and you want a Bible, we have a bunch of these. They're on a shelf. Right out those doors, you'll see a shelf full of these blue Bibles. You can take one or ten. We will restock them as needed. If you need one for you, you have a neighbor you need one for, somebody you know could use one. They're free. They're yours. I want to make sure I say that. Let's start reading. It's at about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? No, not at all. And you will perish too, he says, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. What if the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Then Jesus told this story. He said, a man planted a fig tree in his garden, and he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. And finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. And the gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention, plenty of fertilizer, and if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. So so Jesus is walking with his friends, he's walking with his disciples, and they, they start to get uh, breaking news, as it is in first century Israel. They're getting breaking news that, that some Galileans have been killed for offering sacrifices at the temple. He takes that breaking news, and he then leverages it, along with the news of, of a, a tragedy at the Tower of Siloam in Jerusalem, and he begins to leverage that to engage his followers and those who are walking with him 
in a series of questions about what does it mean to really be saved? What did they do right or wrong? And what do you need to do? And what he lands on is this idea of repentance, that you, you don't need to worry about your rights and wrongs as much as you need to worry about whether you're following the one true God. And so then he goes from there, which is sort of this unresolved, wait, what do you mean by that? You, you could ask a few follow-up questions there if you're following Jesus at the time, going, wait, 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 so the tower and the Galileans and, and repentance. Can I ask another question? And Jesus goes, then there was a man who planted a fig tree. And they go, gosh, okay. He tells this parable. We've said parables are these side door stories. They're intended by God to get into the side door of the heart. They're stories not about us, but then when we start reading them and listening and we hear the story, we, we usually find our place pretty quickly. And then when we realize it's about us, it's too late, and he's snuck behind our defenses, and now we have to deal with the truth being told. So he tells this parable, and what's interesting is Jesus' parables, Jesus' teachings have, have sort of been one call to action after another, haven't they? Drop your nets, give away all you own, come and follow me, go and do likewise. There's always this call to action at the close of, a, of the Jesus story, it seems. In this parable, the owner of the tree looks at this tree taking up space in the garden, not producing fruit, and the owner says, chop it down. Just taking up space. And the response is, the response that we can, Jesus sort of takes on the gardener's tone in this. The response we get is Jesus says, no, 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 no. Give it another year. Leave it be for a minute. See, we're ready for action. And this story seems to put us on the sidelines. What, what Jesus seems to be invoking here is a divine call to inactivity, a divine call to inaction, which is sort of hard for us. People are dying. The, the news comes in. The people are dying. Jesus sees a world of violent death. Axes and shovels are in the story. Chains and crosses are in the near future. Jesus is addressing a group of Samaritans. He's in Samaria. So there will be Samaritans in his, in his little entourage and the people following and listening into this, this rabbi. And the Samaritans don't yet believe he's addressing them. And there's disciples who are in his inner circle who don't yet fully understand what Jesus is even here to do. And then there's the Pharisees who've been kind of popping in and out and following along. And they haven't yet committed to leaving behind religion to follow this Messiah. And so the news, chop them down, is a response of this gardener in the parable. And as Jesus often does, when the world zigs, he sort of zags. He says, let's put some fertilizer on the tree manure. Let's put some manure around the tree, and he says, give it time. Aphiomi. This Greek word, aphiomi. We're going to come back to it, so I want to put it on the screen so you see it, and it sticks a little bit, and you go, wait, why is that important? And we're going to tell you. This word means release, to be released. Release it from your wrath is what the, the parable the, the gardener says to the tree owner. He says, release it from your wrath for a year. Just give me a year with it. Give it some time. Release it. Release it from your anger and let's see what I can do with it. Let me put some manure around it. I'll give it special attention. Just release it. What's interesting is this is the same word that's used in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive, aphiomi. Release us from your anger and wrath. Release us from what we rightly deserve. Release us and, and we'll release those who, who are in our wrong to release term of release is going to play an important role. What we know is we need renewal and redemption. We kind of, we start seeing ourselves in parables and we're like, so I'm the 
I'm the tree in this one and I just need, I don't quite get it. What we know is as we start finding our way in the parable is, is we do, we need renewal. We sometimes need to be released from God's wrath and anger. We need more time to be worked on and developed to grow fruit. We need redemption. The problem with us as a people, societally, culturally, we want immediate results. We say this all the time. We're an instant gratification people. We're an impulsive people. We have drive-through options for calories and caffeine. We have on-demand entertainment, on-demand intimacy. Should you be in that sordid world, there's all the ways we can get any impulse and desire we have fulfilled immediately. We were watching a show as a family the other day, and we typically, um, we finally, just, I feel kind of old sometimes because I missed the digital revolution. I was born before all of it, and so I don't really get how most of it works. I just figured out what DVR was like a year ago. We signed up for YouTube TV, so now we like just wait and watch shows when it's convenient after we record them into the cloud, which isn't a real thing, which somebody explained to me and I don't get. The point is, we fast forward through all the commercials. I'm like, this is great. So we were watching a show the other day as a family, and it's not on the, the thing we subscribe to. It's on this other channel, so it's like free but you still have to watch the ads. And my kids were like, why aren't you fast-forwarding through the ads? And I was like, I'm hitting the button. Nothing's happening. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm throwing the remote out the window. Just, uh, what do we do? I, I want to just get on with the show. Why do I have to watch two minutes and 12 seconds of ads? We want immediate results from our actions. We want to immediately get on to the next thing. I want immediate gratification. I want to see how this plot turns out. We have built a world that sees a problem and solves it as fast as possible. When people say, what do you do all day? People ask me that sometimes. It's my favorite question, so please, as often as you like. People say, what do you do all day? And then they answer their own question usually by going, like, drink coffee and read books, right? And I'm like, no, okay. Um, it's hard to explain, but it's not that. Um, two things that people see that I do as a pastor, the two things, like the two outcomes of my, of my life that people actually realize I do anything all day is preaching and writing. So if I preach, they're like, oh, he must have worked on that. Or if I write something, they're like, oh, maybe he wrote that at some point. And, and so when I preach something, you know that I did some work. Or when I release some writing, they go, oh, I guess he did things. Those are the only two things. And yet those even themselves are radically different endeavors for me. And I feel the tension in them. Most of the time, I'd much rather work on a sermon than on a book. Why? Because a sermon has immediate gratification. I probably finished this one in mid-December, and here I am in February, and here you go. You get to have it. And you can give me feedback. You can nod in approval or you can nod off and sleep. Either one is great. I just, I'm, I get to perform it for you and now we're all in the same and I got gratified for the thing that I worked on. A book, I'm writing something right now that in my best guess I'd say might be available in early 2023. And so when I say I was writing today, I might as well tell you I was building a time machine because there's exact amount of evidence of progress of either of those two things. What do you do? You go into your basement and then you do what? You just... What are you doing? I don't know. It doesn't matter. You're never going to see it. It doesn't matter. We live in, a, in an Instapot society, and I still like the Crock-Pot. How many of you, just as a way of figuring out who we are today, I'm going to build some divisions here today. This is what we need to do. How many of you are Instapot people? You're, you're pressure cooker kind of people. Just by show of hands, Instapot people. Instapot people. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, some, a little of this Instapot online. You can just put an Instapot and then the other people are going to shame you in a minute. Who's a crockpot person? Who prefers to use a crockpot? Wow. Wow. All right. That is an overwhelmingly crockpot sort of church around here. I can't bring myself to use a pressure cooker, an Instapot. I can't do it. I've had meals people have made me from them, and they're delicious. Something in my soul tells me it's not possible for you simply using pressure 
to create the same flavors that I will have to wait 10 hours for. Your 30 minutes and my 10 hours can't be the same. And yet, people are doing it, and people are eating it, and apparently no one's dying, and yet I can't, I'm like, I can't do it. I, it needs to sit for 10 hours. You could put it in the Instapot. It could be ready in 20 minutes, and I'd be like, let's give it nine and a half hours just to rest, and then we'll... Something in me knows we've got to slow down. I can't be gratified that quickly. There's nothing that braises in 42 seconds. It doesn't work. Some of you are microwaving people, and, and when you read the back of a package and it says microwave for six minutes, you're just like, forget it. I just won't eat today. I can't handle this. Six minutes? Might as well have to farm my own vegetables. We want instant gratification. Jesus offers manure. Isn't this beautiful? Chop it down. Jesus says, how about we spread some manure on it and see how that goes for you? It's not quick. You're not going to see instant changes. You're not going to see a change in a month. There's no drama in doing it. There's no glamour in going and collecting it. It's manure. This is part of why I love Jesus so much. Jesus takes ordinary, unremarkable, overlooked things and builds beauty and meaning. Salt, yeast, mustard seed, manure. Overlooked everyday things, slow and small and humble things. In a world of quick fixes, Jesus offers small and slow and humble solutions. He takes regular, ordinary, unremarkable, everyday things that are otherwise overlooked, and he makes incredible stories out of them. And maybe that's why I love him so much is because he takes ordinary, regular, unremarkable, overlooked things, and he makes incredible stories out of lives that are otherwise forgotten and thrown out. He redeems them and he turns them and he makes them into something new. Fertilizer, the scripture says. Yeah, we know. It's poop. Well, you just say it. You're a little uncomfortable that I even said poop in church. Your children are happy because now they're actually listening. Poop. <laughs> Fertilizer, manure, poop. You could keep going down. This is animal, human. This is fertilizer in first century Israel. There's no fertilizer plant with smokestacks churning out high-grade miracle grow, okay? This is go to the field and collect something from the sheep and bring it back. We do not like to talk about poop. That's how unremarkable this is. Jesus is using something that we don't like to talk about, we don't like to think about. When you see people walking their dog, they have tiny little plastic nondescript bags that they don't want you to see that they're holding their dog's poop in. We find a white porcelain bowl of really clean water we drop our poop in there and we whisk it away to the wastewater treatment plant where they'll take care of it. We don't want you to know about it. On the back of your toilet, on top of the bowl there, most of you have something that says fresh linen or bouquet of roses or summer spring or whatever. And so you can spray that because there's nothing to see in here because we don't want to talk about this because it's... Some of you will be at a Super Bowl party tonight and you will be spraying bouquet of roses and walking out, and people will walk in after you and be like, wow, that person smells like a bouquet of roses. That is incredible. I don't know what must have happened in here, but the fresh linen smell that they left behind is so natural. No one's going to think that, right? 
But we are so uncomfortable with even the idea. You're uncomfortable right now going, why are we talking about this in church? What we look at and say, nothing to see here. Let's just move on. Jesus goes, wait, 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 wait. We can use that. Watch. We can use that. Remember, Jesus is in Samaria at the time. So we have to do a little geography and a little history. 700 years prior to this moment, in the same land, God's people were invaded and overrun by the Assyrians. Whole populations were deported. And what's a really brutal and brilliant battle strategy? The Assyrians, when they would conquer a people... They would take those people and deport them to another area. And then they would take people from that other area and they would bring them into the area they had just conquered. So basically, they conquer A and B. They take A's people and put them in B and they take B's people and put them in A. And then any of the leftovers and holdovers, they intermingle and intermix. And and ultimately, what they're doing is destroying identity. Because this is not your people, this is not your land, and your exile's over here, and your exile's over here, and nobody feels like they're really at home. And so eventually, they just adopt the Assyrian way of life. It's this brutal strategy, and this is what has happened in Samaria, is that the Israelites who were there were taken out, and others were brought in. 2 Kings 17 tells us that it was people from Babylon and Hamath that were brought into Samaria. Then they mingled and mixed with the surviving Israelites, and they created a mixed race people with centuries of brutality and shame mixed in. Isaiah tried to warn against this. God's people tried to fight this overrunning with violence. They tried to fight with with their might. And Isaiah spoke against these efforts. Doom to those, he says in Isaiah 31, the prophet Isaiah says, doom to those who go off to Egypt thinking that horses can help them. Impressed by military mathematics or awed by sheer numbers of chariots and riders. And to the holy of Israel, not even a glance. Not so much as a prayer to God. Israel is being attacked in this land and their response is, chop it down. Let's get them. Grab a horse, let's go fast. And Isaiah is saying, that's not going to work for you. In in Isaiah chapter 30, he says this, God, the master, the holy of Israel, has a solemn counsel for you. These are the very words of God. He says, your salvation requires you to turn back to me and stop your silly efforts to save yourselves. Your strength will come from settling down in complete dependence upon me. The very thing you're unwilling to do. Prophet goes on. To the people of Israel, he says, you've said nothing doing. We'll rush off on horseback. And he says, you'll rush off. All right. Just not far enough. We'll ride on fast horses. Do you think your pursuers ride nags? Think again. A thousand of you will scatter before one attacker. Before a mere five, you'll all run off. There'll be nothing left of you. A flagpole on a hill with no flag. A signpost on the roadside with a sign torn off. He says, destruction awaits you unless you rely on me. Prophet Isaiah was a really well-known text, a really well-known script that the disciples and especially the Pharisees would have known that. And the people of Israel, even to today, they have a sense about them that we don't have about geography, about what happened in this place and where are we. And we name this because of what happened in this place. And so where they are is not unknown to the people walking with Jesus of how they got there, the history of the place And so when Jesus says, unless you turn and repent and follow me, you'll perish, those words are vaguely echoing the prophet Isaiah who said, you can try with all your might, you're silly to try to save yourselves, but unless you turn to God, you'll perish. As the story goes, 700 years prior, they rode into destruction. But no matter Assyrian or American oppression, Wait on the Lord is not popular advice. 
you know somebody in trial or trouble, if you want to really disappoint them, call them and say, I'm praying for you that you might wait on the Lord. What people want is a solution. Could you have something for me? When I have a headache, I go to the medicine cabinet and I grab either ibuprofen or acetaminophen. And if it's like 8 or 9 or 10 at night, I grab the blue one instead of the white one because that one will help me forget about it and pass out. So even if the headache doesn't go away, I'll just sleep through it. That's what I want. I want immediate relief from the thing I'm feeling. I want immediate solutions. And if I opened that medicine cabinet and there was a sign that said, wait on the Lord, I'd be a little frustrated. We don't like to wait on the Lord. For little things or big things, we don't like the idea that there isn't an immediate solution ready for us. We rush in with acts at the ready and we are ready to see a problem and chop it down. So Jesus shows up in the same place to the same people who for 700 years have had the same impulse to chop. And Jesus says, how about we repent instead? Your salvation requires that you put the axe down and turn to me. And, And while we're at it, Jesus says, let's add some manure. Let's fertilize this for a minute. The beauty of manure, silent, slow, And the impact's invisible. How do you know it's working? Oh, just leave it. We're always frustrated with this. Why isn't it happening sooner? Renew me sooner, redeem me sooner, heal me sooner. Why why can't this happen? Early Christians were complaining to Peter. Where is the second coming? Where is Jesus for this redemption, for this renewal? Where is the thing? He said he's coming back. Where is he? Peter said this. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. God isn't. God isn't late. God's not running late. He's not running late with his promise. As some measure of lateness, he is restraining himself on account of you. He's holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Peter says, man, we are a forest of fig trees planted, and some of us still need more manure. Some of us still need more time. And in his wisdom and his grace and his mercy, he's withholding some of that wrath. He's not slow, as some measure slowness. His time isn't on your scale. His grace doesn't fit your timeline or your model for what justice should look like. He's different and beautiful, and holy, and above. And he's slowing us down through a divine call to inaction at times. Nobody wants that advice. Just wait on the Lord. What in your life needs a little bit of inaction? Nothing, nothing gets done with an action. Jesus says it does. What in your life needs a little bit of manure and time? What relational division are you dealing with that there isn't a clear solution, so maybe the solution is time? What struggle or setback, what problem or circumstance are you in right now where you go, if this could just have a solution, we'd get through it, and maybe God is offering you divine inaction while he works it out on your behalf. We live in a think first, think, a type first, think later type of place. Did you see what they wrote? I'm going to write something back. 
the rapid response, quick fix world, we are in battles, each and every one of us, that tempt us to grab the axe and to begin chopping. And Jesus might be looking at you today and imploring you to gather some manure and spread it gently and give it time and offer a season of renewal. Jesus tells this story and his his followers don't know it, the disciples don't know it, the Samaritans don't know it, the Pharisees don't know it, but we know it. Jesus tells this story and he is days away from hanging on a cross. They're on the path to Jerusalem. He is days away from hanging on a cross. He is days away from the most profound divine inaction you've ever seen. Because Jesus was a threat in the garden. Jesus was taking up ground in the profitable garden of hearts and minds of the faithful. Jesus was beginning like a weed to spread into the hearts and minds of the faithful. And the profit-minded businessmen and the insecure religious leaders were both threatened by this. He's taking up ground in the garden. So he was arrested. And Pilate, as you continue on with the parallel, Pilate then asks Pontius Pilate, the kind of governor of the area, he says, well, what do you want me to do with him? The crowd yells out, crucify him, chop him down. He goes, why, Barabbas, I already have a prisoner, we can't have both. What should I do with Barabbas? They say, release him. But if that Jesus, chop him down. Then we find Jesus on the cross. The narrative continues, and he responds to the acts that has been brought against him. As they've said, crucify him, and the nails are driven in, Jesus says, forgive them. Throughout the journey, forgive them. They know not what they do. To the thief on the cross, they're going to be forgiven. That word in Luke 23 when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That word, forgive, is that same word from the Lord's Prayer, is the same word from, leave it in the manure story, aphiomi. Release them. Release. Father, release your anger and wrath upon those who are chopping me down. Give them time. Leave them for a bit. Give them a season. I have a plan for them. I will give them special attention. Jesus on the cross is doing the very thing he's asking to be done for the fig tree. Jesus is showing his special attention. Jesus is offering his special invocation, his life on behalf of ours, so he can say, me. give them another minute. Release them. This scripture, this manure story is so beautiful. It's parable and prayer converging in the person of Jesus. And it fulfills prophecy along the way, all in a land marked with history. It's kind of this perfect convergence of all the things happening. It's this perfect gospel parallel in the most ordinary of stories. So in the same land where his people called for violence to bring salvation, forsaking their God, Jesus prepares to absorb violence of his people as he is forsaken. So in the garden, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The forsakenness is complete and total. 
The people who crucified Jesus were blinded by their pursuit of self-made salvation, and they failed to realize they were crucifying their Savior and their Messiah. And still he says, forgive them. Release them. When God was forsaken, he rushed back in. When God was abandoned, he makes way for restoration. When God was rejected, he accepts without condition. And so on the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, and he hung his head and died, it was the ultimate display of divine inaction. Jesus allowed every scene to play out exactly as we now read it. At any point in time, and Jesus wanted to climb off the cross, and he wanted to fall outside of the will of what was going, Jesus had the ability, fully God and fully man, Jesus could have zigged when God says, we have to zag here, I'm so sorry. And in that one moment, he chose divine inaction. And his divine inaction changed our eternity. Jesus showed that his mercy and his grace and his slow, silent suffering on our behalf was the pinnacle of love. In a world next week is, is Valentine's Day when love will be defined by what you did for someone. Jesus' love is defined by what he didn't do for us, by what he released and allowed. His divine inaction makes the difference. Before you were born, you were forgiven. Before you could ask or repent or confess or cry out, he had already climbed on the cross. And so the manure story is this under-the-radar gospel parallel that while we offer nothing, Jesus offers everything. That while we sit there failing to offer fruit, Jesus goes, I got a special plan for this one. Watch. And we got nothing to do with it except to be grateful. This is not a parable to be heard and forgotten. It's that one that over the years people skip past because it's kind of weird and sort of gross and let's just keep moving because the good stuff's coming. A fig tree and manure and a simple statement to leave it. Forgive him. Release it. Jesus says, I have a plan for this one. And if we'll pay close attention to what he's saying on this Samaritan road about this fig tree, we will hear what he says about you and me. We will hear him speaking to our own hearts. He has a plan for you. And as you hear that, you start to hear the heartbeat of a Savior. We start to get a look at amazing grace and all that is upon us to do is release Fiamme and allow Jesus to take it from there. Let's pray. Father, the simplicity and complexity of your word is simultaneously strange and astounding that you take simple things and make them beautiful, and you take simple things and make wild, complex truths. God, my prayer for our community is that we would be a people who are not afraid of inaction, of turning to you, of waiting on you, of trusting in you, of following you. That God, when our instinct is to grab the axe and to begin to swing, Father, might you slow us down just for a moment and have us consider if it's a season, a relationship, a faith moment where our response is to wait. 
God, I pray for the hearts in here that are in those difficult seasons that need a solution yesterday. My prayer is that as they walk through the difficult journey of waiting, they would feel your presence deeply. They would know that you are already here, that you came before us, and you will be eternal. God, be with us as we wait on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.